Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is September 7th, 2017. My name is Philip Rossman-Reich. I'm the expert and site editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. And I'm joined today, that's right, this is a two-guest week. I'm joined today by the one and only Alex Kennedy of Hoopsite and the Hoopsite Podcast. Alex, how's your summer been going? I've been doing well. Thank you for having me. Uh, how have you been doing? I've been doing all right. Uh, starting starting to hunker down here, I guess. But uh, well, I'll I'll say more about that, I guess, on tomorrow's show because today we want to talk about the Orlando talk about the Orlando Magic. What else is there to talk about in in late August, early September, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, uh, this team. This team is just. Team. I think. <laughs> I think both of us have the same feelings about this team. We just look at the roster, and it's so hard to predict what's going to happen. But there's, it is, it's interesting. It's an interesting group of players. So we shall see what happens. But uh, I'm looking forward to making the trek over to Amway and uh, covering a lot of games this year. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Either way. Yeah, either, either way. way regardless. Either way. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it's not like depressingly bad. You know, you want you want some reason to hope. And then like last year, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how how you feel about things, but you know, you gotta be, if you're going to be bad, at least be entertaining or at least have a lot of young guys. Last year, it just seemed like the magic hit kind of the end of their road. And obviously they, they changed general managers. I'm going to ask you about that in a moment, but they, they, they changed their direction a little bit. Uh, and, and it does seem like there's a little bit more optimism about this team, but it, it still seems like it's going to be a long road ahead uh, for the magic to, to get out of the hole that they've kind of dug dug themselves in, but we'll we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Uh, but I did want to kind of lead off and, and talk about something that that you wrote about. Um, I guess it was a few weeks ago now. Uh, you know, it, this stuff takes time to to come together, I guess. But um, you wrote a few weeks ago about Marie Spates, and and you know, uh, uh, for Hoopsite.com, I encourage everyone to 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 dig into the archives and find it. I'll, I'll try and provide a link up on the on the Locked On Magic Facebook page. Uh, but uh, what did you find talking talking with Maurice Spates about what what he sees uh, a veteran former NBA champion and a Central Florida native what he sees in, in this Magic team? Well, he basically said it was always his dream to play for the Magic before his career was over because, as you mentioned, you know he's from the area, um, and I think more than anything, he's going to provide leadership and um, just experience uh, in a locker room that still has a lot of young players. Um, I think you really need that. He, he said all the right things in the interview with me. You know, I went into it kind of, you know, looking to talk to him about the Florida angle because I knew that's one of the reasons he signed with Orlando. He basically said, you know, when the money dried up and he knew that there wasn't going to be, um, you know, a big contract for him, he could have went to a contender potentially uh, or he could have, you know, went and played for his hometown team. And that's what he decided to do. So, um, you know, that was interesting. But then. You know, just hearing the way he kind of broke down 
you know, uh, his expectations for this upcoming season and how he's going to, you know, give lessons to the young guys. And basically just, you know, he, he was talking about the importance of team bonding events and making sure that everyone's together out, you know, out together when you're on the road. And even when you're at home, you know, you're doing things as a team. And then he really preached making sacrifices. And, you know, he said everyone has to sacrifice differently. For some people, it may mean not playing in a game. For some people, it may mean taking you know, a few less shots here and there. But he just said all the right things. You can tell he's a guy that's been around winning cultures. You can tell he's been on a championship team. And that's always good to have in a locker room that's, you know, still developing. Yeah, de- definitely is. And 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 bringing in veteran like 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 him and, and even Aaron Aflalo, I think what, what really struck me, because um, I think Aaron and, and Maurice both came into the Amway Center the same day, what really struck me about both of them was how much they wanted to be in Orlando. I mean, Aaron, Aaron was literally beaming. Like you could, there's just this positive glow about him uh, walking through the Amway Center, being back, you know, in the place where he had his most successful seasons in, in his NBA career. How much does it mean, especially for a team that's won only 29 games, to have these veteran guys? You know, Spates has been through a lot of battles. Uh, Aflalo has been around the league. He's, I mean, even when he was in Orlando the first time, he was a consummate professional. Um, how much does it mean to have guys that, that want to be in Orlando for whatever reason and, and really pick this franchise uh, despite their lack of success recently? Yeah, it's huge. Um, I agree with you on Aflalo. You know, he was terrific in Orlando the first time. He was great with all the young players. I thought he did a really good job of leading by example. Um, great pro. Uh, I think he's going to be great again this time around. And he kind of fits from a spacing shooting standpoint as well. So I think, you know, he's not just going to be a locker room guy. He could actually contribute on the floor too, uh, potentially. So I, I think it's a really good fit. Um, and I think it is important to have those kind of guys. Um, usually, you know, teams can go out and sign these these veteran minimum guys and, and bring in, um, you know, guys that are at the end of their career. And sometimes, you know, those guys are just taking those contracts to stay in the league. Um, and, you know, really it's not fulfilling for them because they're at a point in their career where they want to win championships or, uh, or just collect a paycheck and stay in the league. So they're taking whatever deal they can get. But in these situations where you're talking about a guy like Mo Spates who – wants to be home and is talking about how he's never felt entering a season this excited because, you know, his family's buzzing and his friends are all excited that they can come see him play more often than ever. Um, and, you know, Flalo just beaming, like you said, back in Orlando, you know, when those guys are buying in and, you know, those are some of your veteran leaders, I think that's really big. And I think, you know, that definitely helps uh, kind of set a tone for the young core. I think, um, when you have those guys organizing the you know team events, uh, I know just this past week I want to say the entire team was out in Los Angeles training together, and that was something that um, was organized by I believe Mo Spades um, among others. You know I think a few guys chipped in and kind of talked about it, but um, Mo was saying that that was the first step that you know everything needs to start there. We need to start getting on the same page there. Chemistry is important there, and uh, really just making sure that. Every single day, guys are working hard and, you know, doing something to get better. Um, so I think I think when you have veterans that have the right attitude and that want to be there, it can only help your team. Um, and certainly if you have veterans that don't want to be there or are miserable, and we've kind of seen this in the past, I think there were times during the Jock Vaughn era, I'll say, mm-hmm. that there was a, a lot of doubt in the locker room and guys that 
you know, wanted to be somewhere else or had other goals or they were at a point in their career where they wanted something different. And, and that can really hurt a locker room and it can, you know, kind of spread where the, you know, veterans start feeling some certain way or acting a certain way. And then young players kind of respond to that. So I think how your veterans act and feel is uh, very important. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's, 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 that's definitely an interesting point. Um, you know, it, I, I think, I mean, I, I remember Channing Fry kind of said, joked to the media that, you know, he, he got his paycheck and it was, you know, I, I think that was more good natured, but it definitely sounded like throughout the, the Rob Hennigan era, let's, I mean, let's call that what it is. Um, throughout the Rob Hennigan era, the Magic really struggled to bring in those right veterans. As, after Aaron Aflalo and Jameer Nelson left, especially, um, it, it, was that, you know, when you look at where the rebuild uh, since Dwight Howard left, uh, where how the rebuild shaped up, it, would you say that that was one of the big issues was the Magic never had you know, maybe the right veterans in place or, or didn't get quite the veteran leadership that they needed to, to take that next step? I think there were a number of things. Because um, I, I think in the right situation, you could have had Channing Fry be the right leader. I, I do believe that. I think I think that he was one of those guys that had a lot of doubts about Jock Vaughn. I think um, some of those guys that were left over from the Stan Van Gundy, you know, team, guys like Jameer Nelson and J.J. Redick, I think they went from playing for this excellent coach who knew X's and O's so well to playing for a first-time head coach that struggled a bit, and that was kind of an adjustment for everyone uh, involved. Um, and then, yeah, after that, you know, they did try to bring in other veterans, and you know, there were—I think there were some success stories there. Um, you know, not necessarily guys that had a huge impact on the court, but you know, you bring in a guy like. Willie Green, who I think was a, you know, a consummate pro. He did a really good job. Um, again, Aflalo, you know, he was and part what he of did, that. What he, and what Willie Green did off the court was probably more maybe important than what he did on the court. Cause I think right. you know, Willie Green maybe has a, has a, has a little bit of a different, you know, fans, I think saw view Willie Green maybe differently than, than what the team really intended from him. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Okay. So yeah, for our, from our standpoint, you know, yeah. in the locker room every day, we're seeing what Willie does. And I think he sure. had a positive Absolutely. impact. So that I think those I think those can be counted as some wins. But if I'm talking about you know what went wrong with the rebuild, I think you know coaching hires for for one were an issue. I think um, bad bad lottery luck for sure. Bad bad lottery luck for sure. And then that just should be getting getting the getting you know very very poor return for assets. Mm-hmm. And you know early on it seemed like you know Rob and you know the staff there they were really good at collecting assets. And then when it came time to kind of win and do something, you know, they really turned so many assets into nothing. And that was kind of the amazing thing to me. Like you you had, you know, a bunch of different pieces and young players. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're flipping them in these win now moves. And I'm not sure how much of that was, you know, Rob, how much of that was ownership pushing him a certain way. There was some talk that maybe Scott Skiles had some input and, you know, that's why, you know, his guys were brought in. If you're talking about Jennings and Ilyasova, you know, I don't know who had the final and that was say just That was a cap clearing move. I mean, I don't, that, yeah. I, I honestly don't even view Jennings and Ilyasova. I, I, even at the time, I didn't view Jennings and Ilyasova as anything more than clearing cap. Yeah, I thought Which it was, was a crazy for that summer. Exactly. Because Tobias yeah. Harris has more value in that trade market than, than or in the, tra- in the trade market in the summer than he did at the deadline that year. Yeah, and there are just so many guys that you look at what the Magic got back for yeah. them, and it's just disappointing. And um, that's where, if you're a GM, you can't 
you know, give up asset after asset and lose trade after trade um, that you, you just can't do it, especially when you're, you know, when your rebuilding model is basically collecting all these assets, then when it comes time to actually do something with them, you just, you know, lose them. You know, you look around the, the NBA right now, there are so many magic players that are on other rosters that, you know, they're not great. I'm not saying that, you know, it's not like Victor Oladipo or Mo Harkless or Kyle Quinn are out there being superstars, but these are, you know, serviceable players that really Orlando got nothing for um, in some cases, not, you know, not all cases, but um, they didn't really get a whole lot back in return for their assets. And I think that was probably the biggest problem for me, um, you know, especially t- toward the end there, every trade, it just seemed like, you know, it was a head scratcher. It was a head scratcher for me. It was just desperation. It was just like right. trying to swing for the fences and hoping the ball went far. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best selling LED light bulbs. Our four pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Uh, I mean, so, I mean, obviously, that like that's how you get fired as a general manager. Um, I think, you know, I always tell, I always tell people like you're, you're the sum of your decisions in, in, in this bit, in this business. And, and if you make enough bad, even if you have the right thought process, even if you have the right idea for what you're trying to build, if you make enough bad decisions, you're going to get fired. Uh, and so obviously, yeah, as you've laid out, Rob Hennigan made a lot of bad decisions and, and the team is kind of where they're at. How do you evaluate I guess the, the the plate that Jeff Weltman was left at the beginning of the summer, and and how do you look at what what he put a priority on, I guess, and, and the method that he went about kind of rebuilding this team? Do you feel like he he had the right um, right strategy to just kind of be patient uh, and, and kind of let this thing ride another year to kind of help help the, the the dust settle, I guess, from last season, or could there have been something he could do? I think uh, patience is the right uh, approach, and I think it's the perfect word to describe what they're doing. Um, I had John Hammond on the podcast uh, yeah. right after the draft, and you know the sense I got from him, it was right after the draft, and I think it was right before free agency, and it was basically just you know, patient. We're, we're, we're going to be patient. We're not really going to uh, be too active. If something comes our way, yeah, we'll look at it. But um, other than that, <laughs> you know, we're going to kind of play this thing out and, and see what we have, you know, look at our roster, evaluate these guys. Um, and then I think, you know, you look at some of the moves they made. I think they did a good job this summer. Um, I like Jonathan Isaac. I think he has a lot of potential. Um, you know, he kind of fits that that mold of players they like in terms of length and versatility. Um, and then I look at the veterans they brought in, as you mentioned, I think they're going to be, you know, a positive, you know, influence in the locker room. And then I think the Jonathan Simmons deal was a steal. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> you know, even though he can't really shoot the ball from three, and that's already a problem with the Magic team, you look at what he does provide. And, you know, the fact they were able to get him on such a bargain contract, I just think it was one of the more underrated moves of the summer. So I think that, you know, he was left with a difficult roster to – uh, to turn into a winner right away, I would say. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces that don't really fit together very well. Is the way I kind of look at this team. It's not like there was an easy fix that you know they could have done to you know turn this team into a contender right away. I think you had to be patient. Um, 
you know, see what some of these guys can do, bring in some of your own guys, whether it's veterans or whether it is a Jonathan Simmons or a Jonathan Isaac or another Jonathan. Apparently this organization loves Jonathan's now. Um, <laughs> there's, hey, there's, I think... <laughs> there's, there's two, there's two Aaron's and two Jonathan's and they all spell their name differently. Oh man, this is not going to be confusing at all. There's, this an year. Aaron, right. there's an Aaron and Aaron. There's an Aaron with two A's and Aaron with two R's, a Jonathan with an A and a Jonathan with an O. So at it is we'll, a copy editor's dream. We we will never have another Alfred or another Bismack though. I'm pretty confident we can say that. So that that's pretty that's fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think they they approached the summer the right way. And uh, again, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, I'm really curious to see how this team kind of fits together. Um, there were times that they looked really good last year. There were times that they looked so inconsistent. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of this team. And I think that's where if you're a GM or, you know, an executive looking at this roster, you want to really evaluate everything, you know, on your own with some of your own, some of your new pieces in place before, you know, completely blowing it up or taking things in, uh, you know, a completely different direction. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's a, I think that's a really good point, especially, because you know you see teams do this all the time, and, and I'm sure a lot you know a lot of us are probably guilty of doing it once or twice on NBA 2K too, um, where you know you're kind of stuck in a situation and you just keep trying to make trades until something works, and eventually you you kind of run out of assets, you kind of run out run out of things to do. I mean, the Brooklyn Nets are kind of that situation. They had a playoff team, yeah. they thought they were going to kind of push all their chips in to go get these big stars. And when those big stars didn't turn out to, to get them where they wanted to go, they, they mortgaged their entire future. And now, you know, those stars are gone and they don't have the draft picks to, to make up for it. And, and not that Brooklyn's in such a bad spot, but they're in a bad spot still. Uh, yeah. So it, it's you can definitely make things worse. And I, and I think patience was definitely the order of the day. Just hope to, to rebuild some of the value in your assets and, and you know who knows? Maybe maybe someone is willing to take a chance on them down the road and give you give you something value or give you a little bit of cap relief to because they believe this you know Evan Fournier or Nikola Vucevic is the piece that they need at the at the trade deadline where maybe uh, urgency is a little bit higher. Um, yeah, that's what I was gonna say too. I mean, I think there's there's no rush. That's the biggest thing at the you know there's no rush to make a trade this off season when you're having you know your first conversations with teams. I think that. You know, you want to gauge interest in your players and, and see where their value is at. But, you know, there's no rush at all. You know, waiting till the trade deadline and seeing if, you know, you can get a better offer for a guy like Evan Fournier or Nick Vucevic, if those guys are, you know, going to be traded. Um, it, it makes sense to me, I think, uh, you know, rather than rushing into something and, you know, making moves immediately, you know, see if these, you know, one of these guys breaks out and, and proves their trade value. Um, I just don't think there's any need to rush. I know Magic fans probably don't like to hear that because sure. they want to win now. But I think if you're looking at this from an organizational standpoint and you're looking at the big picture, there really is no rush. You, you have a l- number of guys that are still under 24 years old. You have a few different veterans that you may be able to flip for assets that would help you rebuild down the, down the road. Or if you do want to speed things up, maybe you know you flip them and, and you get pieces that fit a little bit better together. But there really is no rush. That's why I think this summer you know, the right decision was being patient and kind of uh, just waiting to see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, patience is hard, especially, I mean, where this fan base is right now. I think, I think more than anything, it feels, I mean, I, I get this comment a lot. It's been too long. Do something now. And it's just like, if you do something, I mean, I always tell people doing something now is what the magic did last year and look where it got them. So, you know, patience, 
you got to be patient. You, you know, there's no time. I, I believe there's no timetable for a rebuild. It, it just kind of happens how it happens. It does. You can't force it because when you force it, you know, you're taking risk. And, and when you take, you're taking a big risk. And when that risk fails, you end up with the 29 win season where everyone's extremely disappointed uh, with, with how, how things go. And, and, and yeah. that's, that's kind of the problem with rebuilding. I mean, that's, that's, that's the risk of it. I mean, everything's risk, but uh, that's, that's kind of the, the, the situation you sometimes find yourself stuck in if, if a rebuild works and you, you try and push it before it's ready to, ready to walk. I mean, I think that's what we, we learned from last year from this Magic team. I mean, if you go and trade away some of, you know, you, they, they did really over the last two years mortgage their future a bit to try to make the playoffs. And they kind of went and, you know, acquired Serge Ibaka and made these moves that were all about winning now and focusing on this season. And it ultimately blew up in their face. Um, so that's where I think you have to just, you know, even if you're a Magic fan that is a frustrated is frustrated right now and, you know, you haven't had a lot to cheer for since, you know, the Dwight Howard days and uh, I know the NBA Finals feel like a long time ago. But, I mean, you don't want to get into the same trap that you fell into last year where you're trading away your assets for a rental player or a guy that may not want to be here or a guy that's not going to help you long term or a guy that doesn't fit. It makes so much more sense to just be patient. And um, it is hard, but eventually I think it, it pays off. I think you, you look at some of the teams around the NBA, you kind of put it, uh, you put it, you know, really well earlier. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to be bad, at least to be entertaining. Um, yeah. I think a number of teams did that better than Orlando in, in recent years. And, you know, they kind of slogged through those seasons where they were struggling. And then, you know, when they turned the corner, you know, people weren't as surprised because they were always entertaining. So it didn't seem like they were and it didn't it never seemed like things were at, as bad as they were um, in Orlando. I think there's been some ugly basketball being played in addition to losing records. And, and that's kind of led to this real pessimistic, uh, you know, viewpoint or viewpoint or, uh, or outlook. Uh, but I, I just think you have to give these guys time, you know, give the young guys some more time. And then uh, with the veterans, I, I do wonder, you know, does a guy like Vucevic last the season? You know, I, I'm curious what you think about him. Do you, do you think Vuce has trade value? Like with his current, you know, with with the how the game is played today, with the NBA getting away from kind of back to the basket centers, and you know, if you're a defensive liability, you're a huge problem. Where do you, what do you think his trade value is? I think Vucevic right now, uh, the mat. Well, there there are two aspects to this uh, that, that I think are important. Uh, I think that. The Magic probably value Vucevic more than the rest of the league, right? Um, because Vucevic is their starting center, and I think for a uh, you know winning team, uh, Vucevic is probably best playing like the Enos Cantor role coming off the bench. That's how I view him too, and that's why yeah, that's what I was kind of and, getting at. You know, yeah, and it's and hard. The, it's hard when you're asking other teams to give you, you know, starter caliber something player. back. Yeah, exactly. Whenever they're viewing your guy as you know that that and, piece to put them over the edge, but not a starter. And I think that's generally been the problem with the Magic is is there there are there are a lot of guys on the Magic that the Magic probably view more valuable than than the, the team they're trading with does. I mean, I, I I mean the I mean Serge Ibaka, Victor Oladipo trade. I know Victor Oladipo was eventually traded for Paul George, but. That was probably about. Isn't that crazy? Can we just say that again? Yeah, that was even though <laughs> even though Victor Oladipo, a year after the Magic traded him for Serge Ibaka, was traded for Paul George. That's just. I mean, that's just a. There's the mad. I mean, I, to, to Magic fans that are hearing that and still shaking their head, 
there is no way in hell Paul the Pacers were trading Paul George to the Orlando Magic, and there's no way in hell, uh, probably no way in hell, the Magic would have even done that deal even if they kept Oladipo and given him an extension because of uh, because they knew Paul George would be gone in a year. Um, yeah, so, exactly. You know, I mean, essentially, Victor Oladipo got traded twice for expiring contracts. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I think that's a. I mean, a lot of people still viewed Victor Oladipo as a star, and and to me, what I what I was telling people at that time is, if if you're not willing to pay Victor Oladipo the max, then trading him is probably the best option. Um, but yeah. but um, going back to Vucevic, the other the other issue with with Nikola Vucevic that I think is going to be really interesting to watch this year is he's probably going to be at his most marketable as a trade asset um, at the deadline this year and maybe maybe entering next summer again as kind of that backup big. But there are so many other bigs like him on this trade market. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Like, um, you know, there's that's that's kind of my point, that there are so many guys that are back-to-the-basket Big Ben that, you know, 10 years ago would have been so much more yeah. valuable. That I mean, Vooch would have been don't... so valuable like 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 he'd, years be, ago. he'd be so rich. <laughs> His contract right now is a bargain. But I'm saying, you know, he'd be a max player 10 years ago probably. You know, if we're talking about... You know, a guy that's averaging a double double has back to the basket skills like he does. He's what twenty six years old. I mean, yeah, he's still relatively young. It's hard yeah, to believe so, he's twenty six years old too. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just crazy entering his prime. He's the yeah, he's the elder statesman in this locker room at, at times. Um, but no, I mean, uh, I, I think it's just tough because those kind of players don't have as much value anymore. I mean, I think we saw that. I'm not comparing them, you know, exactly, but Jalil Okafor. Yeah, that's, he's. He's a back-to-the-basket center. Now, he's more of a defensive liability than Vooch. I think Vooch averaged a block last year, you know, and but, but he, all, he, I mean, we know that Vooch isn't the best defender. He's not a shot blocker by any means. Uh, we've seen a lot of centers have big nights against Vooch. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the concern. And like you, like you said, you know, there's there's other examples out there too. But if a guy like Jalil Okafor, who just entered the NBA and is, what, 21 years old, uh you know, they're barely getting offers that, you know, uh, they're barely getting offered anything for, for him. And, you know, he has so much potential. And, you know, if you're an executive, you have to believe maybe he can eventually develop some defensive game or, you know, change his game. Uh, if a guy like that is, if his trade value is, you know, where where it's at, I have a hard time thinking the Magic are going to get a lot back for yeah, for Vooch. That's just, you know, and there's other guys out there like that too. You know, it's I mean, there's, guys. there's Monroe, there's Okafor, there's yeah, Cantor. It seems like exactly. all of them are on the market and they're kind of in that same class that Vucevic is. I think the one advantage Vucevic has, especially if he were to get traded, say, at, the, at this year's trade deadline, is his contract, where that, yeah, that really team friendly deal becomes really interesting to teams that are looking for that center help uh, because. You know he is a reliable player. He, I mean, it's not like he's not an NBA player. I think, I think in a, in in a little bit of the Twitter generation that we have now, everyone's either the best player in the world or absolute trash. I mean, Garbage. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I see it a lot with Evan Fournier, honestly. And 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 my and my defense of Evan Fournier is Evan Fournier is a fine player. He is just not playing the role he should be playing in the NBA. I mean, he should not be your number one scoring option for a winning NBA basketball team. That's not a knock on Evan Fournier. That's just kind of who he is and if you put him in the right role he can be really successful which I think the magic did two years ago when he had kind of his breakout year and and I think toward the end of last season they started doing that a little bit more too um so 
you know, some of it's just about finding guys the right role and, and getting them at the right value. And, and I think, you know, Fournier is kind of at the right price for what he can do too, because obviously he can he can score. And so it's, you know, with, with the Magic, again, it's just, it's so much, you know, you're probably not going to get equal value. So you have to be very careful about what you're getting. I mean, can you try and combine a couple assets to, to get that star? Will, would a star be willing to come to Orlando and stay? Or do you kind of, you know, I, I mean, I think it's going to come around again. Do you settle on that kind of quasi-star like like an Eric Bledsoe, who, you know, the Magic at one point in this re- rebuild reportedly rejected, um, you know, when he was entering restricted free agency, it, it seemed like the Magic were, weren't ready to take on that kind of a player yet. You know, maybe now they're more open to doing something like that, and they'll give you know, Phoenix multiple assets to do it, or do you involve a guy like involve a guy like Vucevic in what's essentially a cap dump and just say we will trade him to get him to to, to you if you send us some expiring contracts so we can play around in free agency again or get some get some cap relief moving forward. And so it's, I I, I mean, I think there there are there are some options, probably more than than we think, but probably not in the way that Magic fans would be really happy about. Where you know you look at the deal in isolation and say. The Magic won that deal. You're probably not going to get a player as good as Nikola Vucevic back in a trade. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting because we don't really know what this regime is going to do. You know, they, they don't have any, you know, loyalty to uh, – I mean, they, I, guess, I guess they do because they, they, you know, obviously they're coming in and they've – met with these guys and they're evaluating them, but because they didn't draft they enough, they or acquire enough, they have enough loyalty to say, let's see what you can do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They, you have to, you have to prove yourself, you know, you're not just because I, I think that happens a lot around the NBA where if you're drafted by a certain executive, that executive is hesitant to trade you because they're either admitting a mistake or they still believe whatever they, you know, whenever they drafted you, whatever they believed in or whatever potential they thought you have, they still think that can be tapped. Uh, so I think, uh, I think that that happens a lot. So now with a new, you know, front office, you know, guys like Aaron Gordon, Alfred Payton, um, you know, Nick Vucevic, uh, Evan Fournier, all these guys, Mario Hazonia, you know, guys that were previously, I think, uh, like you said, maybe overvalued by Orlando just because they viewed them a certain way uh, as, you know, one of their top assets at being a top pick uh being one of their top scorers if you talk about Vooch um you know when on other teams they may not be valued the same way I think you know it's interesting because with this new regime they could really trade anyone no one's really safe and I think that's that's kind of it's a difficult situation to be in if you're a player because you're constantly looking over your shoulder but it also can be good for guys it can also push guys and, and you know get the best out of them I think it's always interesting to see a season like this, I think, where, you know, you're putting guys in position and saying, okay, let's see what you can do. You know, the, the season that Aaron Aflalo broke out with the Magic, I remember talking to him that year, and he was talking about just how hard it was to average 20 points per game. And he always thought, you know, if I'm put in the right situation, I can average 20 points per game. And he talked about it and saying, you know, there's four quarters, that's five points per quarter. It's not that hard. You know, he, he talked it all out, but then he talked about just every single night having to, you know, score that many points and not, and, and not only that at a certain point defenses start putting you at the top of their scouting report and now and defenses that was are biggest, geared to stop you and that was the biggest thing that he said he did that he did not uh you know factor in that 
you know, when you're the third option, you're thinking, man, it's easy to put up 20 points, you know, if I had that many shots. But then when you're the guy that everyone's focused on, it is difficult. And I remember, I mean, Aflalo played very well that year. He shot 42% from three. He averaged over 18 points per game. He was almost there at 20, but he was talking about, you know, how hard it is to be that franchise player, that number one option. And I think, you know, we've got a chance to kind of see Vooch in that role. We've got a chance to see Fournier in that role. Um, you know, maybe we're going to see Terrence Ross take on a bigger scoring role. Maybe Aaron Gordon steps up and they try to put more offensive uh, responsibilities on him. I think this is the kind of the, this is the time to kind of experiment with those kind of things, um, and you can learn a lot from that. But no, I, my my point was, you know, no one's really safe right now, and uh, that can create some uncertainty, but it can also push guys to play their best basketball and then that can lead to you know trade value going up and then all of a sudden things get a little bit easier for the front office too yeah yeah i, I think that's definitely true and, and i think what i mean it's, it's something that i think you, you kind of brought out a little bit earlier with with the new management group uh you know we don't really know what kind of team they they want to build quite yet and, and maybe it's fluid maybe it's just like let's let's kind of we have this idea but if something comes along you know we'll, we're willing to shift and and, you know, my perception maybe of Rob Hennigan was he was too kind of dogmatic sticking to his plan and, and it kind of backed him into a corner when certain elements of the, that, that plan didn't fall into place. Uh, but, you know, I think something that this that the Magic have been searching for for so long, or at least Magic fans have been searching for for a long time, is is figuring out what this team's identity is. I mean, what yeah. kind of team are they trying to be? Is Is it still too early to to kind of figure all that out or, or can you kind of spot what this team is trying to be based on what they have? And, you know, again, part of the evaluation I think that goes on this year is whether they fit, whether those players fit that style. Well, I think, you know, that's actually what the point I was trying to get to a second ago, but I kept rambling and I lost it. (laughs) I I, I, I brought it back for you. (laughs) Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, not only are these guys not safe, you know, and everyone can be traded, but you don't know. I think in the past, even if you were, um, you know, you were a guy that wasn't necessarily drafted by the, you know, by Rob Hennigan or whatever, you kind of had an idea of where you stood because you knew if you were a young guy that they were going to be patient with you. I, you kind of laid out two options that this organization can go in. You know, they could try to flip multiple young assets for a veteran like Eric Bledsoe. So all of a sudden, if you're a guy like Aaron Gordon or an Alfred Payton in the past, you know, you've heard some trade rumors maybe here and there, but you've never been too concerned. Now you may actually be, you know, involved in trade discussions. You don't know. And then at the same time, if you're a veteran, you don't know if they're going to bottom out and just go build around these young guys and take the slow rebuild approach. So that's, that's kind of what I was getting at too. You know, you don't know the identity of the organization and that's another reason why no one can really feel safe because we don't know if they're going to try to, you know, it seems like they're taking the patient slow approach but we don't know if they're going to change that or decide all of a sudden, okay, you know, this player's available. We need to go after him. Like you said, you know, you never know what opportunities present themselves. So that's, that's where I say you can't really pinpoint an identity right now for this team. And I, I, I have a really hard time projecting what this team is going to do. Um, yeah. You know, I think there's so many questions about how these pieces fit together. Um, there's so many times where I just think there, there there's there's many times I look at last season how inconsistent they were and I have a hard time believing that they can just flip that switch and be consistent all the time um you know I want to see development from the young guys but I don't know how much 
growth to expect. There's just so many questions I have about this team. Um, and I think it's, it's a, it's a hard year to kind of say, you know, this is the identity of this new magic team because, you know, a lot of the same faces are still here. Yeah. We've, we've brought in, you know, a few different pieces that are going to be part of the future. When you talk about Jonathan Isaac and Jonathan Simmons, um, and then you brought in, you know, some of the veterans to help, but until we kind of see some of those first trades happen, or I think another summer even, it's really going to be hard to say what this team's identity is or what uh, the front office is looking to do, how they're looking to rebuild this. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Yeah, yeah, I've kind of I've described this season as a, as a no-lose season for the Magic, at least organizationally, because, like you said, like, the East this year is such, like, who knows what the East is going to be this year. I mean, I think a lot of us, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, we were talking about this before the show, but there, there are at least three teams that look like they're going to fall out of the playoffs from last year in Atlanta, Chicago, and Indiana. Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of us like Charlotte and Miami to take two of those spots, but that last spot could be up for grabs. And I mean, I think Indiana has a fair chance to get back there. I, I mean, I, I'm not ready to completely write them off. Uh, if, if Miles Turner can take a big leap and then we know what Victor Oladipo can do. Yeah, I'm a big um, Miles Turner fan. Yeah, that's that's still a veteran group. I think he had I think he, I think he had Miles on your podcast at one point this summer. Yeah, he was he was terrific. He's one of my fa- he's one of the best interviews in the entire NBA. He, so I, I mean, I'm I'm completely biased. Uh, so that's what <laughs> that's probably I, why I like. Him, I, I, but, I'm uh, biased too because he had the greatest hat I've ever seen um, in a, during a preseason game last year in Orlando. He had a hat that was uh, a photo of Reggie Miller with the choke with the choke stick with the with, uh, with the his hands over his neck. To Spike that Lee. is awesome. It was that just is an awesome. amazing hat. It was just the most amazing hat in the world. Um, well, but, I, I like him even more now. So yeah, I know exactly. The end of the playoffs. They're exactly. going to make they're, they're, they're winning it all. The playoffs. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I mean, like you look you look at it. I mean, Philadelphia's on the rise. I mean, I, I even I look at Orlando and I have the same kind of uncertainty about it. Because, you know, part of me, you know, the analytical part of me looks at how the Magic played after the All-Star break. I throw out everything that happened before the All-Star break because the Magic were a completely different team um, after the All-Star break when they traded Serge Ibaka. Uh, when I look at the, the team after the All-Star break, you look at the numbers, the starting lineup especially, the, the starting lineup with uh, Peyton, Fournier, Ross, Gordon, and then either Vucevic or Biombo. That team actually had like a 112 offensive rating and a positive net rating over like 400 some odd minutes. Yeah. Like that is a winning basketball team. The problem was they had the worst bench in the NBA and couldn't defend anybody. Uh, and so you want, so like part of me looks at that and says, okay, there, there's something there. I don't know what it is, but it's something. They were clearly a better team, but at the same time, bench, you know, you know, bench recognizing the bench was part of it. That team went eight and sixteen and was not go- it was still not winning basketball games at the end of the season. So it, it's 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 hard. I mean, I think I think the notion that it's hard to get a handle for this Magic team and figure out what was real is definitely very very true. And and I I want to believe that like a full training camp will help them iron out some of the problems on defense. 
Yeah. Um, and, and, and I mean, I think something that's been very underrated about a- a- analyzing this magic team is they finally have the same coach for two years. <laughs> um, yeah. Consecutive years. Uh, it's the first time in three years that they've had that um, where players come into camp knowing what the plays are probably uh, and knowing expectations and what the coaching staff is expecting of them. The coaching staff knows more about their players and they're not figuring everything out, you know, the first day of camp. Um, and that's kind of an underrated advantage. I mean, even looking at a guy like, I mean, Alfred Payton and Aaron Gordon have never had the same coach for consecutive years. Yeah. And Evan Fournier for his entire career, his five-year career has never had the same coach for consecutive years, which is just insane. Even dating back to Denver. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so I didn't, re- I didn't realize that. That's yeah, crazy. He, he, George Carl was his coach's rookie year. Brian Shaw, his second year, he gets traded to Orlando, Jacques oh, Vaughn yeah. and James Borrego, then Scott Skiles, and then Frank Vogel. So it's, See, that's, that's so hard on players. I don't think people understand, like, you know, that's very difficult when you're trying to carve out a role when you're trying to build confidence from season to season. And, you know, it's it, imagine at your job that, you know, you're doing something and you feel like you've had a really good year and then everything just kind of resets. And all of a sudden, you know, you have to impress an entire new group of people, you know, new management group. I mean, that's extremely difficult. So, and I think also guys get comfortable in a certain role. We kind of talked about this with Fournier earlier, where he was used a certain way. Then all of a sudden a new coaching staff comes in and you're being used differently. And that's difficult for the player. Uh, the whole team has to adjust. I think having the same coach back, back-to-back years is, is extremely underrated. And I think the other thing that's underrated it's, it's is... Expect, it's expected, honestly. Like the fact that it yeah. happened in, consec- in three consecutive seasons, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the odd part. It's like so yeah. taken and that's where, again, I that's where, again, I go back to the coaching hires as a big issue with the last yeah. regime. You know, you can't have that happen. Um, but I think uh, continuity and chemistry within the team is so important, too. And that's something that we're going to see, too. You know, we, we've seen some of these guys now have been together for multiple years. We talk about Alfred and Aaron, you know, Evan, Vooch. You know, they've been together. I think that is – I think chemistry is is really important, too. These guys are coming into camp knowing each other. Alfred – you know, is on the same page as a lot of his teammates and um, you don't have a ton of new guys. And then some of the guys that you bring in, like Aaron Aflalo, you know, they already are comfortable with some of these players. And that makes things really easy, you know, uh, getting him acclimated in and, you know, finding how, how he's going to contribute. So I think that's another aspect of things that that is uh, being underrated a bit. Terrence Ross, I think he's going to benefit from having a full training camp, a full offseason. You know, he's out in L.A. working out with these guys. Um, you know, the fact that the, the, this team is together this offseason, all working out together, have a full training camp, same coaching staff back, more chemistry, and then hopefully internal development, because we're talking about a lot of young players, guys with untapped potential. You know, that's where this, you know, that's the best case scenario for this team, that everyone comes together. You know, these guys take the next step forward, the chemistry, the continuity, having the same coach, all those things kind of click into place. And then we're looking at a version of this Magic team that last year in the second half, you know, played pretty well when, you know, Alfred was a triple-double threat, uh, you know, it, you know, most nights, it seemed like toward the end of the season, uh, he was playing really well there. You know, he could have played a little bit better, better defensively, and I think he needs to really, you know, get back to being a defensive pest. Um, but, you know, we've seen what Evan Poirier can do. We've seen what Alfred can do. We've seen what Eric Gordon can do, what Vooch can do. When these guys are playing their best basketball, they're good players, um, if they can all just fit together and, and this coaching staff can make it work, then that's the best case scenario for this team. And you're talking about an Eastern conference that 
is so bad. I mean, you said it earlier, 38 wins could get you into the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, and you never know what's going to happen. You know, you don't know if Miami or Detroit or Charlotte are going to stay healthy. You don't know if teams above them are going to stay healthy. You know, that's where this Magic team, you know, as tough it is as it is to predict. And I don't I'm not going to say that they're going to be a playoff team, because I think if push comes to shove at the trade deadline, if it came down to it, I think a team like Miami or Detroit or Charlotte, I could see them making a win now move to, you know, ensure that they get the eighth seed. Whereas I think Orlando would probably be more patient and they would make the more long-term move uh, or not make a move at all. So I think I'm not going to predict they're going to be a playoff team, but you know, I do think that, you know, the continuity and the chemistry and all that stuff is, is, is being underrated a bit. Yeah. And I, I, that's why I kind of call this a, a no lose season because they're either good enough and they make the playoffs or, you know, they're bad and they get another, they get another high lottery pick. And either way, I think that helps the team because if you're good enough, I mean, Winning to me, like, I, I know there's a lot of people who are just always either be the best team in the league or be the worst team in the league and don't be anywhere in between. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, honestly, if I'm being honest, I think that mentality is, is kind of a bad thing because there's, there's a lot of joy in the journey. I mean, the most celebrated Magic team went 41 and 41 and missed the playoffs. Um, let's, let's, I mean, let's, let's, be, let's be honest. The, one, one of the, or one of the most celebrated Magic teams uh, was just this gritty team that everyone loved, and we still talk about that team. Um, yep. uh, but you know, if you if you win, winning is valuable. It, it increases the value of your players. If you start winning, all of a sudden, people view Evan Fournier a different way. People view Alfred. I mean, that's true. I mean, if you're really trying to get better, if you're really trying to get to the top somehow, you need valuable assets to do it, or you need to win the lottery. And the lottery, as the Magic have learned the last five years, is just a roll of the dice. You, you don't know what's going to happen. You can put yourself in great position to win the lottery and it doesn't guarantee you anything. Um, the, the other point that I think is, is, is important to bring up, like you said, as far as just improvement is, you know, knock on wood, this will be Aaron Gordon's first summer where he's been healthy. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I remember seeing him and the gains that he made as a player between his freshman and his, or between his rookie and his second and his second year. And, like, if you remember that summer league, he was the best player at that summer league that year. Yeah. And then he breaks his jaw, and it's like he's back at square one. He breaks his jaw and misses half of training camp. I mean, it's not just a full NBA summer. Aaron Gordon hasn't had a full training camp since his rookie year. Because last year, he sprained his ankle, I think, in an open open gym before training camp began and missed the first week and a half of training camp. And, and that was bubble wrap him, him for the yeah, next few weeks. Yeah, just follow. Aaron, don't, don't. Go, Aaron. Stay in California. Don't come home during the hurricane. You'll, you'll slip and fall. That would be good. Um, it, it, it's it's stuff like that. That, that I mean, it's, it's you got to deal with it, obviously. But Aaron making a position switch, number one, then had to not be in camp with a new coach, and then you know all this stuff started adding on. And so I think we haven't seen even Aaron Gordon at where he should be for his fourth year in the league, and 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 where he should be moving forward. Um, I'll I'll get. A little bit to uh, the the Aaron Gordon and Alfred Payton question a little bit as we as we get closer to the end of the show here, but um, you know we, we talked about the coaching continuity. What role does Frank Vogel play for the Magic moving moving forward, or what role does he play in in the, this team's future right now? Well, I I like Frank Vogel a lot. You know, I've been a fan of his even dating back to you know the Indiana days, um, mm-hmm. the really the really early in Indiana days because players just buy into. 
uh, you know, his style of coaching, I think he is I really good at communicating. personality too. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's great at communicating with guys. They, they, they genuinely like him. And I think that's important. Um, you know, I think, uh, he can, he can be a disciplinarian, but you know, he still communicates with guys really well. And, uh, I, I think, I think he does a really good job of balancing that. Um, I think he's going to be really important in terms of setting the defensive, uh, you know, mindset and culture. Um, you know, that's why he was brought here. You know, we know what he can do as a defensive coach. We've seen, you know, him coach Indiana at the highest level. And, um, you know, you look at, uh, some of those teams now after, you know, they kind of broke apart a little bit, you know, what, you know, Roy Hibbert and, and some of those players, you know, I think Frank Vogel doesn't get enough credit for the job he did with the, those teams that he had. Um, you know, David West obviously was, was terrific then. Um, but you know, Danny Granger was kind of on the way down with some of his injuries. Paul George wasn't really Paul George yet. You know, you look at some of those teams and he deserves a lot of credit, I think. So yeah. I, even the year, like even the year Paul George was out. I mean, I think, yeah, to me, that was the year that that Vogel really showed what he can do and what he can be. Yeah, I have a lot of confidence in him. You know, I think if I'm looking at, you know, areas of concern for Orlando, I don't even look at the head coaching yeah. position. I think I, I'm I'm trusting Vogel to you know go do his thing. I think the players are going to buy in. I think also I, I think the fact that you have veterans wanting to come here is partially because of Vogel or if it's not because of Vogel certainly it's uh it helps that you know you don't have a coach here that's actively pushing veterans away uh, at least like <laughs> you know they're they're open to coming and you know I think a lot of guys look at Vogel as being a player's coach and, and that helps when you're trying to attract a Jonathan Simmons uh or some of these guys like a Flalo or Spates or whatever who could have signed elsewhere so I, I think uh I think he's important moving forward. I think he's going to be a really big key for this team. Whenever they hired him, I love the move. And I think, uh, you know, I think he's here for, you know, the long haul. I'd be surprised if this was another situation where, you you know, he's a coach that's in and out pretty quickly. I think he's going to be here for quite some time. And I think that's the right move. You want to give him the chance to kind of, you know, build things up, find the players he likes and, and, uh, really try to build something here. I think he, I think he could do it if you give him time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so too. I think he was kind of dealt a bad hand last year. Um, I think most would probably agree with that too. And, and I think, like we said, the coaching continuity piece is such a huge thing that's been missing for the Magic for, for the last few years. And, and I, I, you know, I think he'll be under as much evaluation as anyone else. And, and I think even last year, some of his weaknesses as a coach were kind of highlighted because the team was just a you know, kind of a, a jumble. Um, yeah. But, but you know, I, ultimately I think his track record speaks for itself and I think he'll be able to figure figure things out and, and was just kind of dealt such a bad hand. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about this year's team, um, you know, we talked a little bit about Aaron Gordon. We talked a little bit about, about Alfred Payton, but this is a big year for them too, being in, in extension mode. Um, you know, I know, I know you, you know, you, you've had, I think you've had, uh, you know, had, I don't know if you've had Alfred on, on your podcast yet. Um, or yeah, not, he came I, on. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, so I, I know you're, you know, you've, you've, you've got, you know, you, you've got your relationship with Alfred, but where, where do you think things stand or where do you think things should stand for the magic with, with these two young players getting ready to enter restricted free agency? I mean, should, I mean, we saw what restricted free agents did this summer, you know, is, where, 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 what are they up against this this year as they as they enter their their chance to make money? 
Well, it's really interesting because I think uh, next summer you're going to see the spending come back down to earth quite a bit. You saw it a little bit this summer, I think, already. And then I think it's going to happen even more next summer. The crazy spending that um, happened last summer, um, I think we're realizing it was a one-time thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, it may have been a little bit... Everyone just everyone little, spent that money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you give teams money to spend... You know, GMs are going to go out and sign players. We've seen that. Even, you know, they're not going to hold on to their money. They're not very good at that. Um, you know, that's why they need well, things they're kind like, of, you they're know. They're kind of required to spend that money by the by the lead, by the the collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, but I mean, some but of these not, contracts not that were handed like, out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there were some insane ones. But um, I, think, I think if you're a player that's going into next year's, you know, free agent class as a restricted free agent um, – it's going to be difficult, but I would also say that how often do extensions really work out for guys? And, and um, you know, usually if a guy signs an extension and they haven't been stellar, um, if we're talking about, you know, like you said, Aaron Gordon hasn't taken that next step and become a star player, Alfred Payton, there's still questions about him. You know, how often do guys like that sign an extension and it really works out for them? Usually, you know, if those guys – do sign an extension and it's on a team friendly deal. And then if they break out, they can't really go, you know, make what they're, what they're, you know, worth. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I just think, I, I, I just think for those guys, it doesn't make much sense to sign an extension. Um, I, I've kind of, I'm not really a big extension guy. I, I mm. have talked to a lot of agents about it and players about it. I just don't think it makes a lot of sense to lock yourself into that unless you are a guy that's a star and it's just kind of, inevitable that you're going to be there and you're going to, you know, why, why delay it? Um, but accepting less, uh, unless you have an injury concern or you're, you're expecting to, you know, regress uh, because of a role change or something like that. I just don't think it makes sense, even with the market being as you know bad as it is and with restricted free agency being as uh, crazy and as and unpredictable as it is. I still don't think I would, assi- I would sign an extension. I mean, if the, obviously if they, if they make an offer, that is not team friendly, which you don't, you're not going to see, <laughs> you know, teams no, really don't. No, you, you got to undercut guys at this stage. Yeah. With extensions, you're always lowballing a guy because, you know, you're basically, you you're know, you may off- yourself. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're bidding against yourself and there's no, and it's the same thing in restricted free agency sometimes too. And that's where guys kind of get screwed over there. But at least then you have the option of signing the qualifying offer and then maybe getting paid the following year. So I, I just wouldn't, lock myself into I wouldn't settle for a bad extension that's my thing um yeah. so I think if I'm if I'm these guys I, I play the season out hopefully you have a strong year and then the market is is strong and uh you play well enough that you're gonna get you know an offer sheet or Orlando will then say hey you, you did really well here's a contract what you know here's what you actually deserve or uh they can come to an agreement on some kind of terms that make sense for both sides yeah yeah I mean be like Jimmy Butler invest invest in yourself yeah, I don't think I don't think anyone can can you know be upset about that. Um, you know, just just to wrap up the show here, um, you know, you and I are of a certain age where we grew up watching one player and spe- specifically in Orlando. Uh, he is going into the Hall of Fame on Friday, so I would be remiss if I did not ask you, Alex, what is your favorite Tracy McGrady memory, and 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 what are your thoughts on him entering the Hall of Fame uh, this this weekend? Oh man, I was a huge Tracy McGrady fan growing up. Um, 
I grew up in Florida, so I mean, I was a I was a Magic fan growing up, you know, uh, before I you know became objective and had to take my uh, my my take fan, fan my off. fan hat off. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I mean, I was a big T Mac fan, and really, he was the one of the guys that you know made me fall in love with basketball because he just made it look so easy. He scored the ball so effortlessly. You know, there was a time that I was one of those guys that, you know, was out there debating Kobe fans, like about who was the best shooting guard in the league because he was that I was good, too. You know, or, or he people, was the best. People think, you know, who, people think we were crazy, but like I remember yeah. getting into long threads on like CBS Sports about it. And like people would come to my defense that that T-Mac <laughs> was better than Kobe. Yeah, I mean, there, there, were, there were years that, I mean – you would just watch him play and it was just it was amazing what he could do you know with with very little help and then just uh he like i said he made everything look so easy um yeah. it's a shame that you know he wasn't able to you know win more throughout his career it's a shame that he had the back spasms and other issues that kind of limited him but you know he uh he's a he was an exceptional player um i've had the chance now to interview him a few times one on one and he's a really interesting guy and a really nice guy too and that that's always cool whenever you kind of grow up rooting for a guy and then you get a chance to meet them and you're kind of not sure, um, you know, what they're going to be like. And and he was just super friendly. He's been uh, great every time I've interacted with him. Um, so that, that was pretty cool. I'm happy to see him uh, be, you know, be put in the Hall of Fame. I think uh, I think he deserves it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, my, my, if, I, if I had to pick a favorite T-Mac moment, I mean, his uh, this isn't a magic moment, but I, I think I just – uh, tweeted the video out a few days ago. Yeah. The uh, the thirteen points. I mean, it just it, it amazes me every time. Um, but then I'll, I think my first Magic game I want to say was it was I think the first game between Tracy McGrady and LeBron James, and they oh, both had like forty one. points. Did, did, didn't yeah. they both have like forty points? Yeah. That they, was... they both went crazy. Like, like yeah. I remember I, I was I was at that game too. It was Christmas Day overtime went into overtime and it was, I mean, LeBron was incredible. It was like, that was, to me, that was the game. I mean, I'd seen LeBron a little bit, you know, before he was, but that was really the game young. Where I was like, yeah. LeBron, uh, LeBron was 18 playing in the NBA and like, the magic stunk obviously, but that was the game where I was like, this LeBron guy is going to be really, really good. But McGrady wasn't given up the given, given anything up yet. No. And, and, he and they was, were going, they're going back after him in overtime and just beat him. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was my first time going to a Magic game, and I because oh, really? I was yeah because I you know I grew up in you lived in Tampa yeah I, I lived in Tampa and you know so making the trek all the way to Orlando I would watch games but I didn't really go in person a whole lot and all that so I got tickets to that game I remember just watching that game that was that was cool because it was my first first game obviously but yeah I mean watching those guys go back and forth just two phenomenal players. Um, just it, it was just it was a lot of fun to watch and then like you said it went to overtime it, it was a it was a really good game that one that one stands out um but yeah i was a huge t-mac fan i had like the you know one red shoe one blue shoe oh nice, uh, nice. You know, i was i was one of those guys uh yeah i was i was a big T-Mac I, bought, fan. I bought the t-mac 2 was the first was the first like real basketball shoe i ever bought yeah and i wore, Man, I wore it i wore it my junior year uh, or my not my junior year, my freshman year of high school basketball. He had some he underrated commercials too. He did. <laughs> he had every everything about him was underrated. I mean, even his scoring was underrated because he was like, such a great scorer. Um, you know, and I and I think of T Mac. I I always think like it didn't matter. 
what how good his team was. It nothing mattered. It, you knew when you turned on a Trace McGrady game, you could see something ridiculous and special every night. Yeah. And, and and he was going to score twenty points on a bad night. That that was that was the reality of Trace McGrady. Uh, like he, I'm so happy that that he's in the Hall of Fame. Um, just guys just, like. Guys like Tracy McGrady are the reason guys like Aaron Aflalo think it's easy to score 20 points per night yes. because yes. they watch Tracy McGrady go out there and make it look so easy and they think, oh, I can do that. And then you realize over the course of a season when you're the number one option and you have to play 82 games and all these things, you know, combine, it's not easy. And so for T-Mac to lead the league in scoring and do everything he did and have such little help for so, so many of those years when the Magic were bad, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – there, there's a I mean, it, it, it always kind of haunts me too you always wonder what could have been you know there's always the talk about you know was tim duncan ever really considering orlando would have Grant hill stayed healthy there's all those what ifs that you could throw out there there's but always those what ifs i mean I, just, I don't think we're lucky we got I, to see t-mac do what he did yeah, i think seriously i i i agree i mean i wish i wish he would have experienced a team success that that he deserved that his career deserves i mean i think the only reason people don't want to put him in the hall of fame is because his teams didn't do anything, and that's not his fault. It's not his fault that you know the super, the quote unquote super team that he joined. I mean, we talk about super teams being something new; they're not. Um, it's that's NBA history. Uh, but the super team that he joined never became anything because Grant Hill was constantly hurt, and the yeah. Magic couldn't put the pieces around him to make things work because T Mac was so good. They never, they never, never, never bad enough to have a high lottery pick, except for Mike Miller, who won Rookie of the Year. I'm, so, I mean, and then it, Yao was constantly hurt too. And I mean, Yao was constantly hurt, and then McGrady got hurt. And then McGrady hurt. Yeah, then he has his back issues I mean, it, and all this, that. The burden, and the burden it, he it had was, to carry was just so heavy. Like, I yeah, mean, it's not just can you score twenty points per game every single night. I mean, in T Max case, can you score thirty points per game yeah. every night for eighty-two games every year? But then, can you win when no one else is helping you? And then, can you do it for multiple years? I mean, I, it, it's if 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 McGrady had played in today's NBA. They would have been resting him like crazy. Yeah, for sure. I, I always wonder how guys like that would do in today's NBA. Like, you know, obviously he'd be more focused on efficiency. There'd be, yeah. you know, I think there'd be, I, I, I wonder, I wonder how, you know, I, I kind of wonder if this with other stars too, you know, how they'd I think play. They would, because, I think they would have used T-Mac's playmaking more because it's it's not just, yeah. like everyone talk, everyone talks about, uh, you know, Jordan, you know, like Jordan would have scored 40 in today's NBA per game because there wouldn't be hand checking. It's it's not so much that. It's I, I think I mean I'm not saying Jordan would score 40 per game if he played in the NBA today. It's it's not so much the hand checking aspect that I think. Um, it's the focus on efficiency and playmaking. I think would change the way these guys play because they would spread the floor with more shooters. I mean, yeah. Part of part of what I think made the '96 Bulls so good or so like transcendently good was they were probably one of the few teams in the league that had a stretch four in Tony Kukoc. Yeah. And so they, I mean, and and, I mean, they they didn't, they probably didn't use the three pointer in the way that we conceptually think that, you know, you should use the three pointer this year. Like I remember I I go back and watch old, old nineties magic games on occasion. And like the, the 95 magic were one of the first teams to use that kind of spread the floor around one big man and shoot a lot of threes. But even when you watch them today, there, there, are, there are possessions where you're like, shoot the three. Like, why are you not taking that shot? Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, it's, it, like the, the, the mindset of those role players changes. And so yeah. I, instead of seeing like, honestly, instead of seeing maybe Tracy McGrady score like 35 points instead of 30 points per game, I think we'd see him average eight or nine assists per game rather than the five or six that he averaged in, in his prime. 
and, yeah, and I agree doing a little and bit be more, more efficient. Yeah and, yeah, and he'd probably do more spot-up shooting, you know, maybe have the ball, I mean, depending on whether the team had a second ball handler, but he'd do more spot-up shooting and he'd probably get more open threes because the spacing on the floor would be so different. Yeah, I think all these guys, when you talk about, you know, McGrady or Allen Iverson or Kobe Bryant, you know, they had this mentality that they had to go out and just carry the offensive load and take a ton of shots. And, you know, they they didn't obviously look at the game the same way we do now. And they didn't care as much about efficiency. You know, you didn't. Now you have Kevin Durant tracking his efficient efficiency during games uh, and LeBron, you know, super focused on that stuff, um, you know. I think these guys were just asked to do a whole lot and they were kind of stepping into that role where it's like, okay, every team has a, you know, star player. You're the star player. Go shoot the ball 30 times. Like I think today's NBA, he would be used way differently. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone would, it's not good or bad because I can, I mean, I, I still have people who tell me, Oh, the, the T-Mac era that the early two thousands was better basketball. And it's like, you know, go back and watch some of those games. Like, I mean, yeah, it's it's T-Mac, and, and the, the criticism of those Magic teams were that everyone just kind of stood around and watched T-Mac kind of do his work, which you wouldn't. Uh, but yeah. you look at, I mean, you look at the, er- the way the game was played in that era, it was a lot of kind of isolation sets, keeping the ball on one side of the floor. It didn't have nearly the fluidity or movement. And it's not, like I look at today's NBA, I don't think it's that defenses are any worse than they were five, six, seven years ago. I think it's offenses have gotten that much better. And it's so, I mean, these are the best players in the world. It's so difficult to stop good offense. Good offense always, uh, offense always wins. I mean, you can defend Kobe Bryant perfectly and you'll still hit a tough shot over you. And when you, you know, get rid of all the other advantages that defenses have, then, you know, offenses are going to explode. And, And I mean, I think any player from that era would take it, would take advantage of, the way coaching is now, the way the, the way schemes are now. And I think, you know, some of, I mean, yeah, there's definitely some of it of a macho mindset of, you know, I need to take 25 shots because I'm that, uh, you know, I'm the alpha guy. You know, I think we're seeing that diminish in the league today or the, the, the successful teams don't have that as much in them. Uh, but, you know, I, I think offenses, you know, the way offenses play now would change how all these guys play and, and would make them better in a lot of respects, just, just to be playing in this, in this era of, you know, strong coaching and strong offense. And eventually someone's going to find a defense that works and, and, and can shut some of the, and can at least slow some of these down. And then everyone's going to copy it. And we're going to go through that cycle again. That's, that's NBA history. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and yeah, you can always look back and say, Oh, the NBA was so much better 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But I mean, that's just nostalgia. Everyone exists within their own time. Yeah. Exactly. That's within their own time. But one thing I think is really interesting, and this is totally off, you know, top. It's not off topic, but it uh, it's a different thought process. You know, I wonder how these guys would do in today's day and age with like cell phones and social media and all that stuff. Because I feel like today's NBA stars, from what I've seen, they don't really like party a whole lot. They don't go clubbing. They don't do crazy stuff. Like whereas you look at back at some of these, you know, older stars, I'm not even talking about McGrady specifically. If anything, you know, a guy like Iverson was kind of known for yeah. going out and partying all night. Yeah, exactly. Like partying all night and then coming up in the next game, just, you know, still being able to drop 30 points. Now, like I feel like with social media and camera phones and all this different stuff, guys can't do that stuff. And if they are out, they're almost like shamed into 
turn turning around like James Harden for example was like known for being a you know a guy that was at clubs and I remember when he was in Oklahoma City during the finals there was talk about him going out and there's pictures and stuff and then like he really just stopped going out and really you know kind of focused and changed his whole mindset I wonder if I wonder what would have happened if some of these guys had that same push you know and, and they really were forced to kind of change their their approach because I, I think I, today's NBA stars are so different than the stars of yeah. yesteryear in terms of how they are I, off the I court. wonder I wonder how much I, I wonder less how much of it is social media and I mean and social media is maybe a symptom of it I wonder how much of it is the prevalence of AAU culture where a lot of these a lot of these top prospects especially um, have been playing kind of travel basketball. They've, they've kind of been out in the world already. Um, yeah. You know, by the time they get even to college and the NBA. And so, you know, they, they've been very serious about basketball for probably much longer time than stars were even 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, where, that's, a, where, that's, a, that's a really good point. Where, I mean, like, they, I mean, they, they, A, they're living under that scrutiny well before they get to the NBA. And B, yeah, and they they're they're kind of living already this this crazy traveling NBA lifestyle. Not, not to the same extent, obviously, but you know their whole focus has been get to college, get to the NBA. I mean, there's, yeah. and, and there's already a lot of pressure built in on that. And I talk to NBA players that you know they won't take a sip of alcohol, they won't yeah. do any drugs. They're not you know they're not even thinking like that. They're thinking, they're why would I do that to my body? I've been yeah. you know. I've been working at this since I was 13 years old, 14 years old. Like, you know, they already had it in their mind that I'm not touching alcohol. You know, that's for the guys that are, you know, not in the gym. That's for the guys that are not going to be where I'm, you know, headed. Um, so they kind of come up with that mentality too. So, yeah, not, not only is it shaming guys out of the club and, you know, posting everything and everyone kind of knowing where everyone's at at all times in today's culture. But, yeah, I do think that guys are healthier. They eat healthier. They um, definitely consume less uh, alcohol and things like that from what I've seen, at least. You know, obviously there's exceptions, but I'm, th- I'm thinking just in general from what I've seen, it's pretty, you know, you can like at Summer League, for example, there's there, there's guys that go out to clubs, but you pretty much just see a bunch of guys sitting around. You know what I yeah. mean? Like there's not well, they, a lot I mean, Jalen Brown had the 21 and under under party. Yeah, uh, exactly. In Vegas, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's there's really like, you know, not a whole lot of. That's the biggest. That's a huge change. I don't think a lot of people realize off the court that occurred from that one generation of stars to the next. And I think there's a number of different reasons. You brought up a really good one. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of reasons for that. But I also wonder, had those guys kind of been in this time period and they weren't, yeah. you know, overextending themselves or they weren't they were getting enough rest or they were putting the right things in their body, you know, then what would they do? That's just a whole other. Uh, I mean that was like that was a huge concern during the lockout a few years ago because because yeah. in '99 like people like players came in out of shape I mean I mean they had the the like charity game that was really charity for players because the players were spending all their money like you don't see that anymore like players I mean and the league has done a lot of work with that too doing the rookie transition program trying to you know teach the rookies and the incoming players. Um, about you know managing their money and 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 you know coming a coming into a lot of money uh, to to begin with, um, and so you're you're you know I think you're seeing a, a lot of that kind of take root in 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 NBA culture where it's probably even getting to to young guys you know who are working in AU and working in college you know where you know let's let's be real they're probably talking to agents 
even when they're in college and, and even when they're in AAU and they're getting, they're getting that advice from somebody, you know, whether it's, yeah, whether it's are. through an agency or somewhere like they're, 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 they're learning like the guys who are clear cut going to be in the NBA, they know what they're, I mean, they're, 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 they're handled. <laughs> yeah. They're being advised. They know what to do. And I think also like, you know, the veterans that are on teams now, they kind of grew up in the same a culture and they grew up the same way where they weren't doing a lot of the you know it's not like in the past where you know you're, you may have, may have had veterans on a team pressuring a guy like oh come out and party with us you know like i think the veterans i think kind of teams, adopted, are, teams i think have gotten smart about that too yeah they want that guy out of the locker room uh there's a there's a number of guys i can think of like that um yeah that teams have gotten smarter about that and uh but yeah i think just the veterans that do stick and the veterans that do get signed, you know, we talk about Aaron Aflalo, a guy like that, you know, the guys that uh, end up being these locker room presence type guys are the guys that are consummate pros, the guys that um, you don't have to worry about that stuff with. And, you know, they kind of grew up the same way. Aflalo was someone that, you know, kind of grew up in that. I mean, he obviously wasn't a top prospect, but, you know, yeah. he, grew, he grew up in the same, you know, culture out in, uh, in, in California and, you know, he's he's been in it since he was young, too. So now you have the veterans that have kind of been through the same thing. So everyone's kind of on the same page now. It's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's definitely definitely a really interesting time for the NBA. I mean, I I, I can't wait for the season to start. We're, what, three weeks away now uh, from training camps opening. It's it, it can't get here soon enough. I, I always tell people, I mean, we may all know the Golden State Warriors are going to win the title, but the NBA season is still going to be fascinating for so many reasons. That's why I, That's why I think it's the best league out there. Because uh, it, it's it's more about the journey than than about the result, and, and I think that's that's always enjoyable to watch. Um, Alex, uh, where can people find you? What do you have coming up on Hoops Hype and, and the Hoops Hype podcast coming up? Um, well, I have a number of uh, interviews dropping on Hoops Hype pretty soon. Um, actually, tomorrow, Henry Ellenson from the Detroit Pistons. I, I had a Q and A with him, and uh, he, he was really he was a really good interview. Um, I really enjoyed talking to him. Um, I have a big piece about Los Angeles pickup basketball, like the Drew League and uh, yeah. and just how big that's gotten out there and, and the UCLA pickup games and those things. Um, I talked to a bunch of players Aaron, about that. Aaron Gordon, and Aaron Gordon was out at one of those too, I think, you know, either short, I think shortly after uh, the, the Magic did their get together, I think there was video of Aaron playing yeah. with LeBron and Draymond out there. Exactly. Yeah. And Aaron follows out there quite often because he's a UCLA guy. Um, yeah. So I'm doing a piece on that about kind of LA basketball. Um, and uh, I have a number of pieces like that. I'm doing a piece on guys, uh, what it was like for guys whenever they met their childhood basketball idol. Um, I'm really, <laughs> That's a good one. you know, cause you know, you, you're going to get the stories of obviously, you know, he was super nice or a guy play, you know, guy playing against him. Uh, but then you're also going to get the stories. Oh, he was a jerk. It was disappointing. So that's been kind of interesting to report on and get different stories from guys. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of long form stuff like that. And then, uh, on the, the podcast, we have a lot of players coming up. So I'm really excited. Yeah. Uh, so definitely be sure to check out Alex's work over at hoops hype. Um, and, and, and subscribe to the hoops hype podcast. Uh, he just, Alex does a great job with his interviews there. It's, it's one of my, it's one of my big listens, uh, when, when I'm listening to podcasts. So uh, definitely be sure to check that out. I'm sure he'll have some Magic-related guys uh, in, in the near future. I won't, I, won't, I won't put pressure on you to do it anytime <laughs> soon. 
just, 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 just start, you know, you know, we don't get a lot of national love here in Orlando. So, you know, you're here, throw us a bone every once in a while, um, just to keep <laughs> us relevant. Um, be sure to follow Alex. It's at Alex Kennedy NBA or is it? Uh, yeah. At Alex Kennedy NBA. Yep. Yeah. So be, be sure to follow him there. You can of course subscribe to this podcast, the Locked On Magic podcast on iTunes, Audio Boom, and Stitcher. Be sure to search for Locked On Magic after you search for uh, Hoops, Hoops, Hoops Hype Podcast. I, I, I got your old place confused there for a second. Um, <laughs> yep. Hoops Hype Podcast. Um, and, uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Daily as well as at R underscore OMD. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Magic. I want to thank my guest Alex Kennedy for coming on the show and talking about the Orlando Magic, Tracy McGrady, and a whole lot of other stuff here for the last hour or so. Uh, I'll probably be back tomorrow with another episode of Locked On Magic. If, in case I don't, everyone, please stay safe during the hurricane. Alex, please stay safe during the hurricane. Uh, and too. I'll see you at the Amway Center soon. Definitely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic, this has been Philip Rossman Wright. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'll see you next time on another episode of Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17